0: Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, do uh, open them at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. That's the main passage we'll be looking at this morning, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. As we prepare to do that, let's pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Uh, we thank you that in your word, in the Bible, we learn more of you. We learn uh, who you are, what you have done for us and how we are to live as people who you have saved. Uh, Help us in this, Lord, as we read this morning. Help us to understand what we read and to see how we can be uh, growing uh, more and more in maturity as followers of Jesus. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I admire and love uh, a lot of things about the Philippines, And the Filipino people. Uh, One thing I admire that I I want to tell you about today uh, is their unity. The Filipino people have a great capacity for optimism and unity. The Philippines has been home to one of the only successful peaceful revolutions in the history of the world. Uh, The People Power Revolution, also known as the EDSA revolution, or the February revolution, or the yellow revolutions get a lot of names. Uh, uh, This was a series of popular demonstrations, mostly in Metro Manila, uh, in February 1986. Uh, And if you're old like me, you might uh, remember seeing this on the news. A campaign of peaceful civil resistance that led to the ousting of President Ferdinand Marcos at the end of uh, a 20-year corrupt dictatorship. Uh, it brought about the restoration of democracy in the nation. It's celebrated across the Philippines today with a national holiday, a public holiday, and there are shrines to peace and, and memorials dotted all along the EDSA. That's the, it's the main, one of the main arterial roads through Manila, where the climactic uh, protest took place. Joe and I went our first trip to the Philippines, stayed in a hotel right on the EDSA, and I remember going for a walk and seeing. Uh, There's a massive memorial to peace, uh, this peace brought about by a people united and working together. Uh, Over 2 million Filipino civilians were involved in peaceful protests along with uh, members from the military, from political parties, from religious groups, all coming together to protest finally at the presidential palace and the Marcos family were forced to leave the country, exiled. Uh, The wife of a political opponent assassinated by Marcos, became the next president and the country entered an era of peaceful democracy that they still enjoy today. Uh, This was something that it couldn't have been achieved by uh, a bunch of individuals, Uh, it couldn't have been achieved by small groups of hundreds or even thousands getting together, Uh, the united effort of millions of Filipinos. Could achieve it and it all happened without a shot being fired it made news headlines worldwide as the revolution that surprised the world Uh, testament to and sadly a very rare example of what people can do when united Uh, example of the evil that can be undone and the change and growth that can be brought about peacefully by people united uh, working together for a common goal In the book of Ephesians, Paul has been describing the church as a united body of people. A people united to each other and united to God in Christ. As we enter chapter 4 of the letter, Paul highlights the growth and maturity that comes from our unity. Being united in Christ means we serve each other in love. We contribute together to the growth and maturing of the church. Uh, We're moving in. Into, uh, in chapter 4, from uh, the indicative to the imperative, uh, from instruction in the first three chapters to exhortation from chapter 4 onwards. Paul has said uh, in the first three chapters, "Well, this is what's true about you. And now he says, this therefore is how you should live. Uh, the first three chapters of the letter have been all about what God has done for the Ephesians through Christ, how God has chosen them to be his people adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. Uh, What Christ has done to save them from God's wrath against sin and to bring them close to God. How he uh, has made them to do good works which God has prepared for them to do and how Christ has united Jew and Gentile. The wall of hostility has been broken down and there is just now one worldwide people in Christ. Uh, That's who the Ephesian church are. That's who all Christians are. people united in Christ as he goes on in chapter 4 Paul describes uh, how he wants uh, them to strive to live out this unity he urges them to live out this unity this uh, to be this people that God has created them to be Uh, read the first few verses there with me again Uh, Ephesians 4 and from verse 1 as a prisoner for the Lord then Paul's reinforcing here what he said at the start of the letter in chapter One, Paul describes Christians as those chosen by God, predestined to be adopted as his son as his sons and daughters. Uh, and in the words Paul uses here at the start of chapter four, he's describing the calling uh, we've we've received chapter one he's uh, he's already described that in other words, but this is the calling we've received to be uh, a body of people uh, All Christians called into the body of Christ, gathered as one. And Paul urges this people to live as the people God has made them to, uh, to to, to live a life worthy of the calling they've received. Uh, That it be marked by uh, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance and love. Uh, We're going to come back to that uh, a little bit later. Uh, In these opening verses, Paul gives a... A picture again of the underlying unity, a picture of true spiritual unity in the church, the spiritual reality, is that the church is one because God is one. One spirit, we all receive God's spirit when we're saved. One Lord, all saved through faith in Jesus, sharing in the benefits of his death and resurrection on our behalf. That's what saves us. One God and Father of all, all united to our Heavenly Father. Through Christ. Uh, We have the Trinity there again God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not the first time uh, Paul has done that. Uh, God is one, and so we are one. Uh, You can no more divide the church than you can divide God. Uh, All Christians, saved by the same faith, loved by the same Father, have the same hope because of the same Spirit. We're united. That's the spiritual reality. Good to know when it doesn't look like it, does it? <laughs> why doesn't it look, why doesn't it always look like we're united? Uh, one of the most common questions I get asked when I tell people about you know, what I do for a living, I tell people about my church. One of the first questions I get asked, aside from, oh, do Presbyterians still exist? Uh, <laughs> is probably the second most common question I get asked is, well, what's the difference between Presbyterians and Catholics? Uh, or what's the difference between Presbyterians and Baptists? Or some version of that question. As Christians, uh, we don't always present a particularly united front to the world. Uh, for what those in the world see, we don't always look very united. Often we present a, a divided, a squabbling, infighting picture of the church uh, with such a variety of different branches and versions that it, well, it seems to have uh, that seem to have so little to do with each other, that seem to be always fighting against each other. Well, those outside the church, as they look from the outside, really get rarely get a picture of church unity. It's estimated that there are around 45,000 different uh, church denominations today. Uh, 45,000, well, think of that, it can hardly seem that, We're united, really. Those inside the church (laughs) often get the same picture, Uh, often get the same feeling, don't they? An insider's view of the church is often no better than that from the outside. Churches dividing and splitting, uh, people leaving over one issue or another, leaving the church and not coming back because uh, perhaps they're disillusioned. I can't think of a church that hasn't been touched by disunity at some level. That hasn't had people leave over one disagreement or another. Uh, we simply just don't always look, don't always feel, don't always act like united people. And yet here Paul says, you are united, you are one. <laughs> He's expressing a spiritual unity. Uh, as Christians, the spiritual reality is that we all have the same Father God, the same Saviour Jesus, the same Spirit living within us. You can't be a Christian without that. It's a, it's a reality beyond what we might see when we look at the earthly church. Uh, a reality for all who truly trust and follow Jesus. A, a reality that is true right now in heaven and will exist fully and finally in its perfect form when Jesus returns. We are united. But because we live in a world steeped in sin, that unity Uh, Isn't always obvious. Uh, It's often called the distinction between the visible and the invisible church. Uh, The invisible church are all Christians everywhere who follow Jesus as Lord. Regardless of the brand of church they attend, the denomination they uh, belong to, or the the theological quibbles they have with some other Christians, if they've been called by God, saved by Jesus, and have the Spirit within, then they're united with all other Christians uh, in the invisible church. The visible church is what we see on the ground day to day. It can look very divided and disconnected. There are many within the visible church who uh, may not even be Christians gathering weekly with God's people but not sharing the faith that Christians share. Uh, The visible church can have all sorts of disputes and divisions going on. But praise God, (laughs) that doesn't Actually, damage the reality of the spiritual unity between Christians. The unity God creates is something man can't tear apart. Uh, Paul understands this difference, and so, well, he strongly, uh, strongly encourages the, the well, he strongly describes here the unity of believers. But he also says, work at maintaining that unity. Verse three: Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Not that you aren't already united uh, with all others who are saved by Christ, but the outward, visible expression of that unity will always need work while we live in these bodies on this earth. Uh, John Stott, he says it this way, uh, as he talks about verse 3 in his commentary, uh, here is an apostolic exhortation to us to preserve in actual concrete relationships of love that unity which God has created and which neither man nor demon can destroy. It's an indestructible union God has created, but the expression of that unity? We've got to work on it constantly because we are sinful people. (laughs) As Paul goes on to show how we can maintain that unity, how do we express the fact that we're all one in Christ? By each individual serving each other with the gifts Christ has given us. Uh, Follow along from verse 7 with me. Uh, Ephesians 4 from verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Jesus has come to earth, descended, as Paul says, died to pay the price for sins and risen back to life, ascended to the heavens, and he has given us the grace we need to serve each other and to build up the church, working towards that final goal of unity and maturity in Christ that will one day be perfect, one day be perfectly expressed when we live forever with him. Uh, This spiritual unity uh, we now have, this this will be one day perfected in Christ. And the job of Christians now is to build each other up. Uh, To build each other up and grow more united in Christ, to grow more and more like Christ by serving each other with the gifts Jesus has given us. Uh, Paul is specific here about the gifts Christ has given to help make this unity happen. He mentions those five roles within the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All word-based roles and ministries. Uh, the prophets who brought God's word to Israel, the Old Testament is uh, full of their teaching and ministry. Uh, the apostles, and Paul is talking about himself here, and the twelve Uh, They're the eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection and much of the New Testament is God's inspired word to them. Uh, Some commentators too, there's debate, but some commentators will also describe the role of prophets here as being the New Testament prophets that is often described, uh, a role which uh, is uh, often seen to be specifically inspired uh, for a time. In the sense of God's direct inspiration of his people and of, of uh, the, the inspiration by which we receive the scriptures. Or well, Those roles are, no longer exist in the church today, uh, but through God's work in them we receive the scriptures. We have the Bible. And then roles which continue in the church today, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Uh, you might notice there that pastors and teachers uh, kind of paired up in a way that the other roles aren't, as Paul lists them off. Pastoring and teaching go together. Uh, When I first started in ministry at uh, Kenmore Presbyterian, uh, an old friend I was connected with through Boys Brigade, I was starting out in ministry, and he asked me, do you see yourself as a pastor or as a teacher? Um, I thought it was a strange question, and I just had to say both. (laughs) Uh, I think it's false to make a distinction between the two. Certainly you can be more strongly gifted in either teaching or pastoral skills, but you can't effectively pastor people if you're not also teaching them the word, and you can't effectively teach people who you're not also pastoring. You have to pastor the people you teach, and you have to teach the people you pastor. Uh, Paul puts those two roles together uh, as he makes this list here. And the... If we think about roles within the church today, the minister of a church or the pastor of a church falls within that role of pastor-teacher. Now, ministers won't always consider themselves evangelists. That's the third uh, in, in the third of the roles there. Uh, ministers won't always consider themselves evangelists, or sometimes sometimes they will, depending on their gifts. But if a if a minister is doing their job right, <laughs> they're evangelizing weekly simply by preaching the gospel. Uh, and they should be finding ways to share the gospel personally or training the church members in sharing the gospel. Uh, Some are more gifted than others, um, and certainly the role of evangelist could be a distinct role, uh, but every minister is also an evangelist. Uh, And these roles that Paul describes and the way he describes them, this is why the Presbyterian Church and most denominations have... Ordained ministers, ministers, or ordained ministry of some sort. Because we recognize and believe what the Bible says here that Christ has given uh, certain people gifts in teaching his word, in, in pastoring and evangelism. And why has God, uh, why has Christ given these people these gifts to the church? Verses 12 and 13, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so that's uh, my role in the church as evangelist, pastor, teacher. That's the role of the elders in their teaching and pastoring too, uh, to equip the people for works of service, to equip the church for works of service. Paul doesn't say uh, Christ gave us pastors to do all the pastoring. He doesn't say Christ gave us teachers to do all the teaching or evangelists to do all the evangelizing. He says the role of those in the church with these gifts is to equip God's people to teach and equip others to in in turn serve and build the church. Uh, And so that's uh, my goal in much of the work I do. It's my goal in weekly standing up here preaching the word. That's my goal in writing... Bible studies and kids' church material. That's the reason I meet with kids' church teachers and growth group leaders and others. Uh, It's to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and so that we we may all reach uh, unity in the faith, become mature, as Paul says there, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Of course, what that means is that well, we all work to build the church. We all have a role to play as we build the church. It means that well, the minister doesn't do all the work, the elders don't do all the work. We all work together in building up the body of Christ here in Bald Hills. Uh, that's why we ran uh, the church camp at home the way we did. If you noticed last Saturday, we were sitting down uh, Saturday morning to discuss the health of our church uh, together, uh, sharing ideas, giving feedback, uh, thinking about ways that not just what the minister can do or what the elders can do, but what we can all do to bring about maturity and growth uh, in our church. Because if we're going to grow, we'll grow together. Uh, each person playing their part. I perform my role and each of you perform your roles according to the grace God has given, being equipped in various ways to serve each other. Paul doesn't give a list of spiritual gifts in this passage. Uh, Instead, he's teaching uh, uh, a broader principle when it comes to serving in the church. He's talking about each person learning from the word, and growing in their desire and ability to serve each other, Uh, just as they have been served, just as we have been served by Jesus, by his sacrificial death for us. Uh, Paul's talking about doing this, each person, in order that we may see others grow and see the whole church grow and mature uh, as we grow as followers of Jesus. Uh, There's no quibbling Uh, Here in this passage about exactly what the various roles are or how much each person ought to do, we we just serve each other in love. We use our gifts and abilities and we help out where we see a need. Uh, I could make a great long list of areas uh, we can serve (laughs) in different ways, and I will. Uh, Teaching the kids in Kids Church, for example, uh, or leading a growth group. Uh, We have wonderful people who do those uh, jobs to serve and we'd love uh, uh, to train, uh, keep training more. Uh, helping out at creche uh, or, or going to a craft group, uh, going on the morning tea roster or running the sound desk, um, singing, playing in church, reading the Bible, leading a prayer in church, doing one, one-to-one Bible reading with another member, uh, Helping with our ministry to seniors, perhaps serving as an elder on, on committee of management, serving uh, financially, giving, giving generously, giving, giving extra when you're able to support some special project. Perhaps going on the mission action team or uh, r- helping run breakfast club at, at the school. Making a new person feel welcome or inviting them over for a meal. Visiting someone who's sick, praying for them. Doing a course in evangelism and sharing your faith more boldly. Uh, being a regular member of your growth group and helping everyone in that group to learn from the word as you discuss it together. There's a stack of ideas uh, and I'm sure you could think of more. The point being, uh, and particularly as Paul writes in Ephesians 4 here, there's no limit to the ways that we can serve each other. There's no... Specific requirements, he simply says, serve each other in love. We're all to have a part to play, however seemingly big or small. Sometimes our part is to be served. You may feel like you're more of a burden than a help sometimes in church, but that means that someone else has a chance to love and serve you. Paul's use of the body metaphor, uh, again in this passage, is helpful. A church is a body just like every human body works and grows well when every part is playing its part uh, and, and no part is trying to do something it's not designed for, no part is giving up because it can't do the thing that that other part does. And yet when there's a problem in the body, while well, other parts of the body gather around to help fix it, everyone has a role to play and a way to serve and in the church, well, no one person... It can do everything no one person ought to do everything but we each play our part uh, I've mentioned this before and you know there, there are things that I don't do <laughs> in serving in church I, I don't sing for example I don't lead in singing uh, if I let us in singing it wouldn't build up the church it would clear the building <laughs> uh, I may not be that bad but that's not my gift uh, that's not what I'm good at and so I don't put a microphone to my mouth and, and lead the singing. Uh, but I know from those who do put microphones to their mouths and lead in the singing <laughs> that they are so encouraged and love it when everyone else is serving by not singing into a microphone but standing in your place where you are and singing. <laughs> so I don't have a great voice but I I stand there and I sing loud and I... Uh, sing praise to God. <laughs> and when we all do that together, that's an encouragement uh, to the church. That's an encouragement to those serving in leading the singing as as well as to everyone else around you. You just have to think. Uh, pick an area where you feel you can serve and then serve. Uh, we all play our part to build up the body, to serve each other in love, to help, help each other as individuals and as a church grow in maturity. There's an illustration of, often sadly that's not the way that Christians approach their involvement in church. Often, unfortunately, Christians often think of church as, not so much as a body, but like a bus. <laughs> Uh, So the driver sits in the driver's seat while everyone else sits in the back and relaxes, just waiting to get to their destination. Some are listening to music on their iPods, some chatting away about what they did that week or about how cool it's going to be when they get where they're going, some just looking out the window and enjoying the ride. Uh, But they don't have any responsibility for the driving. Uh, Only the driver drives, and on a bus trip, that's exactly how it should be. You don't want anyone else coming to try and grab the wheel. Uh, If more than one person uh, tries to drive, you are in trouble. Uh, but the church is not a bus. <laughs> sometimes Christians think, well, the pastor should do all the driving. That's, that's what we pay him for, isn't it? I've heard that phrase uh, uh, more than once in 10 years or so I've been in ministry. And uh, they just sit back and enjoy the ride. Or, or sometimes the, the pastor thinks, look, I'm the driver of this bus. <laughs> I know where we're going and how to get us there. And, and the rest of you, you'd better just sit back and, and not make any trouble. They're both errors in thinking, aren't they? Either way, it's an error for, well, for church members or the pastor to think about the church like a bus. Uh, Paul's body analogy is a much better analogy. When the church works well as a body of people, it grows and thrives. Each, each person, each member playing their part. Uh, have a read of the last three verses there with me uh, of this passage. Verses 14 to 16. Uh, Chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of cunning and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him, the whole body. Joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. You see the way the body illustration there is the opposite of the bus illustration. You go from one person doing all the work to every single part serving to keep the whole thing humming along. Christ is the head, uh, just as the human head directs everything else in the body, and the body can't live without its head. I know that because I used to be a nurse. Uh, so the church can't live without Christ. Jesus ought to control and direct everything we do. He's our, he's our goal. We grow up into him. He's our life source. He's the reason we are united, the reason we are part of his body. And the body, the church, grows by his power as each part, big or small, uh, plays its part. That's the metaphor Paul draws in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the passage Robert read for us uh, earlier. Because the body is a unity, then each part relies on each other part. And the growth and vitality of the body depends on each part serving the whole. When it doesn't work that way, a physical body will suffer and so will the church body. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Our unity, our growth, uh, is damaged unless each person uh, serves and plays their part. If one part's missing or inactive, the whole part, th- the whole suffers. And the sad thing is that that can be happening without us even realising it. We might not even realise that we're suffering in our pride. We might think, "Well, things are humming along perfectly." But well, if even just a, a, a one or two people are not serving and growing and maturing, then we're not completely united. We're not moving as smoothly as we might think towards our goal. Something's missing the the body is less than whole in that case. and so so let's work to express our unity in Christ as we serve each other and build up the church. Now, whatever part, big or small, find a way to serve if you're not already, find a way. To, to serve i I know many of you are already. this is a church where many people use their gifts to build the body, and i'm extremely grateful for that as a pastor as a minister uh, let's keep doing that and let's keep doing it more and more uh, I'm sure there are ways many of us uh, could serve where we're not currently serving if and if you're not already serving in some way or not sure what you can do, well, just have a talk to me or to one of the elders about that. If you, if you see a need, bring it up and think about whether you might fill it. Do what you're good at to encourage others and to help each other grow as followers of Jesus. And as we do, let's do it all in love. Uh, you may have noticed this whole section is bracketed By love. Uh, So verse 2 be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Uh, And then verses 15 and 16 instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We can't truly express the unity we have in Christ unless we serve each other in love. Uh, Someone could do a great deal to serve the church. Someone could be all over it, be on every, every roster or doing all kinds of work to serve, but if while they do it they're grumpy or overly critical or resentful or overworked, That actually damages the body. Uh, Better for that person not to serve. Our motive to serve needs to be our love for each other. Uh, Even when we have hard truths to speak, especially when we have hard truths to speak, we do it in love. And it's only when we love each other that we will truly desire to serve. Uh, It's when we love others that we're humble and gentle with them. It's when we love others that we're patient and bear with one another the niggling little issues that irritate us about each other. We deal with all that because we love each other. And when we truly act out of love, well, then we'll serve each other. We'll work together for the good of the whole uh, to build the church up. This is how we will live as a people united in Christ. This is uh, what it will look like as we live a life worthy of our calling uh, we have uh, better reason as well than anyone in the world, any group in the world. We have far better reason than anyone to live out our unity in this way. And we have a firmer foundation than any, any other people for our unity. I uh, mentioned the Philippines at the start and the Filipino people who united to oust a dictator in 1986. Well, that was a worthy cause. It was a huge victory. It brought growth and change to their country. They have just this year, though, voted in Ferdinand Marcos's son as president. We'll see how that turns out for them. Whatever our show of strength and unity as people, it will always be temporary and tenuous if it has an earthly foundation. And we find disunity in the earthly church too. We do fail to love each other. We do treat each other with pride. Uh, We do treat each other with anger, with selfishness, with contempt at times. And sometimes, yeah, churches just fall apart. But the church has a spiritual unity that no person can break. We are united in Christ. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of them all. That's where our unity comes from. That's our foundation. And through Jesus' sacrifice for us, we've been united to each other, united to God, and our love for each other is a reflection of the love we've been shown by God. And so serving each other in love is how we will grow in maturity as Christ's body. God's love is the principle that guides us as we serve each other. It's a principle that guides us as we seek to grow in maturity. It's the very thing which has united us in the first place. So let's pray and let's ask God for help as we express our unity in our loving service of each other. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, We praise you because you are a loving and powerful God. We praise you and thank you for the unity that we have in Christ. We thank you for the work that you have done, the love that you have shown to unite us as your people and to unite us to yourself in Christ. Help us, we ask, to live in a way that demonstrates our unity. Help us to seek day by day to uh, live lives worthy of the calling we've received. Help us to live in a way that shows what you have done for us. Help us to serve each other out of love. Help us to... Uh, seek the growth and maturity of our church as we serve each other in love and help us, Lord, to look forward to that time when our unity as your body will be perfectly, fully and finally uh, expressed and fulfilled. Help us to look forward to that time when we live uh, forever with you as your perfectly restored people. And until that time, help us, Lord, to live uh, together in ways that do grow your body, that do increase our maturity as your people. And might your church grow and might you be glorified as we do this. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.